Microphone is not. <laughs> Where's the screen? Here it is. Got one. All right. <laughs> Are you set in there, Reggie? I'm ready to go. Yeah, let's just do this thing. Okay? Put it in the book. 394. Get ready with that trigger finger. I'll give you the three S's and I'll give you a countdown and you give me that music and I'll give you a podcast. 394. Getting close to that big 400. Wow. A couple of weeks, what, maybe six weeks, right? Six plus four is 10, right? Yeah, six weeks away. Cool. All right, here we go. Ready? Stars smile strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Pod-tastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. There we are. Just waiting for you. But waiting around is not the preferred behavior. No, no, no. Getting out there. Moving around. Spreading the word. Telling your friends. Telling your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. And by gosh, it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion and that little extra work certainly must certainly much appreciated, especially around the holidays. If you like what you hear, oh, we've got so much more for you. Just go to WGNRadio.com, hit the prompt for the podcast, and then look for this podcast itself. And my God, it'll come spilling out. Stuff like a Christmas stocking. Loads and loads. Just keep scrolling down and hit load more, load more, load more, load more, load more. Got lots in there. Find out where we were so you know where we're going. They may not all be in there for your access, but we have done now. This will be 394. So, (laughs) I always like to point out some things that really get under my craw. Sometimes they're really uh, somewhat important world issues, and sometimes they may seem frivolous, but for whatever reason, they really get under my skin. And a lot of times, those are the more fun ones to talk about anyway. (laughs) It's good to be frivolous sometimes, isn't it? We can't be serious all the time. And that's what I try to make this podcast for you as well. As fast for me, kind of a nice diversion. If you want to hear about the state of the world and politics and this and that, my gosh, there's enough places on TV and on the Internet where you can get that information and find all that stuff, and you can be inundated with that. And given the shape that the world's in today, it could be a little depressing. So actually, I've tried to stay away from a lot of that. We've got a lot of craziness going on in the world, and 
I've touched upon it here and there, but I haven't really got into some of those weighty issues of the day, which I, I do from time to time, but I just felt like, wow, you know, there's so much going on and very little of it is is good news. So at least for a while here, while we're in this kind of global, I don't even know what it is, just this kind of funk. And it's not just a funk. I mean, there's some serious serious things going on here. A lot of uh, destruction and death and, and, and horrific acts and terrorism. There's just a lot going on. And war, I mean, uh, as well as the usual. You know, the usual, the, uh, the, the, the catastrophic destruction caused by weather and, and human error, too. That's always in there. And all the craziness with politics, especially here in the United States. Can't get much crazier than the George Santos situation and, and what's going on in our presidential uh, race on both sides of the aisle. So a lot of craziness. So you know what? If you want, if you're interested in that, there are plenty of podcasts. There are plenty of places on the dial, television, radio, where you can go and and get into that. And so, for the time being, at least, I'm trying to make this a nice little haven, a nice little diversion, a nice little distraction from the craziness of the day, to maybe bring up some of the the stuff that uh, that might not be the most important, but it still gets. It gets me so gosh darn mad. And maybe it's just because I care. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm mad because I care. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's who I am. But anyway. <laughs> so you're saying, Jim, what the heck is, um, is getting you upset now? What, 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 what potentially frivolous thing <laughs> is getting you upset now? Well, I'll tell you. Thanks for asking. You know I love music. Big music fan. Love, 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 love music. All types and kinds of music. I always say my record collection goes from A to Z, and it has uh, it, it, it includes the Sex Pistols and Luciano Pavarotti and everything else in between. I have been a music fan since I was a little kid, and that's becoming a longer time than it used to be. <laughs> um, and being into music, I've been uh, in, my, in my career, not only do I enjoy music as a, as a hobby, as an interest, but I, uh, for many years I made it a profession. Um, I started my media career writing uh, a weekly music column, and I've written about music for for many many years uh in various publications both national and local uh, here in the Chicago area as well as uh, some national publications as well and newspapers and things like that um so always love music love it uh from a a standpoint of just personal interest as well as as i said from a professional standpoint looking at it from a a more critical standpoint and that's where i'm coming on this one a little of the personal will get into this but this is probably more on a professional thing where i'm looking at it from more of a professional side but it just drives me crazy when i was back in my day i know i say that a lot but my gosh i don't know maybe it is my age and growing older, I don't know. Maybe that's just a natural progression. But you look at the, 
You know, I think back at my parents who were, you know, older than me, and they probably thought I was crazy. I know they thought I was. They told me in so many words many times. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad they did, you know. And, I, and, and now I'm understanding it a little more uh, than I did at the time. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, I mean, you always look at the present and you always it, – it never seems to match up with – the way it was now i don't like and never use or seldom and certainly try not to if it if it's if it sneaks in uh, you know maybe there might be a chance where my my brain is just kind of on automatic but i i hate that term back in the day do not oh can't stand it a lot of people use it all the time i never liked it they've been people used it from losing for the last 15 or 20 years and I can't stand it because, first of all, what's the day? Okay? I mean, it's, it's the day based on your experience. But for someone who's younger or older than you, when you say back in the day, that means a totally different time. So I, I don't find that, a, a you know, it's a nice little space you know, a space filler when you're trying to think of something and you're trying to say, well, instead of saying, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago and putting a time limit, you say back in the day and then, you know, it makes, it gives it this kind of nostalgic sound. But to me, I, I just don't like it because actually it sounds people that say it act like they're bragging about it too. Like, well, back in the day, like when I was younger, making it sound like they're youth was the best time in the world and we all think that don't get me wrong and what i'm going to kind of talk about today will sort of smack of that too so you can see to some extent jim you're kind of being a hypocrite here and maybe i am and you know if you listen to me on any kind of regular basis i really hate hypocrisy so i'm going to try to be as least uh you know have as least amount of hypocrisy involved in my little statement here in an argument today so may some may sni- uh, sneak out there and you might be able to call me on it and i i get it just know that i'm all at the outset i'm already admitting that there may be some hypocrisy here and maybe you know some you know conflict in my my reasoning but at the same time i think it's worth bringing up so i will but i will certainly not say back in the day now you could say back in my day See, I don't mind that. In my day, now, okay, now that that phrase I like because it 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 gives me a better sense. But if you say back in the day, what's the day? The day depends on who's saying it. But if you say back in my day, okay, now I look at you and I say, oh, maybe you're 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old. And so you're talking about your lifetime. At least you give me some point of reference. But to say back in the day, that's infinity. That's infinity. There's no, I don't know what that means. It's completely nebulous. So that's just a pet peeve. So I will not say back in the day, but I will say in my day, <laughs> as Dana Carvey made so famous as the angry man when he used to do that, that character on the uh, Weekend Update, 
In my day, we didn't have, we liked it. We loved it. So I know I sound like grumpy old man, and maybe I am. I don't even, at this point, I don't know. Maybe I am. And, you know, so what am I going to do about it? But this just got into my craw. And I don't even know what a craw is. I don't know where the craw is located. Uh, I, I mean, if you had, if you had a map or you had a, you know, a poster of the, the human body, I don't know where the craw would be. I don't know if the craw is real. <laughs> but all I know is that this stuck in it. Wherever the craw may be on the human body, this little nugget of news stuck in my craw. Maybe I am the only one who have a craw. Maybe you don't have a craw. I don't know. But I'm, I, I, I've seen you know posters of the human anatomy, and I see you know all the bones and the muscles and the nerves. I don't see the craw. I don't know where the craw is. I think it exists somewhere, and this stuck in it. Being a fan of music and a passionate fan of music, even as a young kid, I would be, I would listen, still do, but back then I listened to it when it was first run, not in reruns. I would listen to Casey Kasem's American Top 40. It was a syndicated show and all around the country and even around the world. As Casey would say, it's ponderous, man, ponderous. We're all over the world in Amsterdam. But uh, that show went around the country, around the world. And what a great, I mean, you have, you know what, you can, you can make fun of Casey Kasem. He was probably our best counter. He made a career out of counting down. Few people have done that. And they've made great careers. So you cannot... Uh, you cannot put down the great da- counter downs. There's been at least three I could think of, maybe four. Uh, Casey Kasem made a career of counting down. Actually, he counted up, to be true, to be honest with you. He counted up. So maybe Casey's the only counter upper, and the rest used to be count downers. Now, there was a countdown, but you know, now that I think about it, you know what? Casey Kasem's American Top 40 Countdown was a misnomer. It should not have been called that because he started at 40 and went to one. Oh, my gosh. My, my entire childhood is crashing right in front of me. You are witnessing it right now. I'm going through a major, oh, Wow. Everything I thought and believed in is suddenly crumbling. <laughs> no, really, think about it. Count, he didn't count down. He didn't start at one and go down to 40. He counted up from 40 to number one. That's, that's, it's more interesting that way. You know, it, it creates suspense as to what's the number one song going to be. I, I, I don't fault him on that. But, you know, if you ever listen to the Casey Kasem's American Top 40, they even had a little jingle. And now on with the countdown. And he said, and he would always say, yeah, we're, we're counting them down. Ponderous, man, ponderous. We're counting them down till we get to number one. No, but he didn't count them down. He counted up. Now, there are some famous countdowners that have made amazing careers. Like, well... Well, I guess, I don't know. Now we have to, because now I'm thinking, they all counted up. 
Or did they count down? Dick Clark on New Year's Eve, followed by now Ryan Seacrest. We count down to New Year's, right? Five, ten, nine, eight. So are we counting down? We're going to one as well, right? And we're starting at 10, so maybe maybe my world doesn't have to. Maybe I'm, I mean, he's counting down to number one, right? No, so maybe maybe Casey's okay. Okay. Whew. Man, I, my, my, my belief system almost crumbled, but maybe, I, maybe I've been able to at least um, find a way to, to, uh, to ease that. Maybe I've been able to, you know, to somehow justify it. Maybe he did count down. But see, to me, count down means you start at the top and go down. The top, to me, would be number one. And then you go down to 40, right? So if I'm counting down on New Year's Eve from 10 to 1, I guess I'm counting down to 1. I think, I yeah, you know what? No, Casey counted up. Dick Clark on Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve and now Ryan Seacrest, they count down. They go from 10 to 1. I'll take that. 1 is less One is less than 10, so that's down. But Casey, well, I don't, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go into it in my fortress of solitude and really uh, you know think this out and if 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 I if I come to a conclusion I'll let you know in a future podcast I I don't want to you know bog it down but do you see my my conundrum here and I couldn't I couldn't write this if you asked me now I know that I'm looking at my script you know I'm on page 7 already and it says discuss the countdown whether countdown or counting up so I'm following the script <laughs> You couldn't write this stuff, folks. No. This is all right off the top of my head. <laughs> Clearly, right? I don't know. I don't know if, if Casey was counting down or counting up. And I don't really know if Dick Clark counted down or counted up to New Year's. And now Ryan Seacrest counts down uh, to that. And so does uh, Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen. And I would have to throw in another one, too. I just thought of uh, Anderson and Andy, but now I'm thinking, and of course, the all-time counter-downer, or counter-upper, I don't even know at this point, was um, Guy Lombardo, who made his uh, career on playing the song Auld Lang Syne at New Year's. And people, I mean, that was the... That was you still hear that on some of the TV shows. If you hear that that little instrumental part that they always play, that's Guy Lombardo. That's with the strings and the horns. Sounds very old fashioned. It was, but Guy Lombardo made a career out of that with his big band, Guy Lombardo, and I believe it was the Canadians. And uh, and you'll still hear that on some of the countdown TV shows. They will play that. 
But so there were some people that made a career out of counting down. Let's just, since that is the accepted phrase, for now, let's go with that. Let's put a pin in the question about counting up or counting down, and we may revisit that in a future podcast. And I certainly, it sounds like already I could probably easily do an hour on whether it's count down or count up. <laughs> but we move on. So I loved the Casey Kasem American Top 40 countdown. Okay, you know what? It's even hard for me to say that now. We'll put an asterisk by that. It's countdown, but you know, denotes possibly count up on the bottom of the page. Okay, so just go with that. So I loved the count. I loved Casey Kasem's American Top 40. Would listen every week. It was always on a Sunday morning here in Chicago. Started about 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, and that's what I would always listen to. I'd have to know what was the number one song of the week. Now, I did that for many years until I realized that I could go to a bookstore, to a newsstand where they sold magazines, and I could go and actually pick up the Billboard magazine by which Casey was simply using the Billboard chart to put together his countdown. You may laugh at County at Casey Kasem and say, wow, all he did was count. He made a career out of counting. But you know what? That was a master stroke. It, it took nothing to do that. But it was a great idea. Because, you know, the Billboard magazine is really a trade magazine. It's available at at, at many at, at many on mag on many magazine racks, but only the ones that are very comprehensive. Like if you go to a bookstore, but if you go to like a magazine rack in a grocery store, or you know at a convenience store, you're not going to find Billboard there. If you go to a, a a magazine store, there used to be stores that just had magazines and books, and bookstores like Barnes and Noble and things like that. They have a pretty extensive magazine uh, section. You will find Billboard there. Even though it's a trade magazine, it's a popular trade magazine. But back when Casey was doing it in his heyday in the 70s and then into the, into the 80s when, when it really was, you know, it's, it's most popular, uh, Billboard was not readily available. You had to go seek it out. It wasn't right next to, you know, Time Magazine or, or, or People Magazine. So... For a while, Casey really was providing a service because the average person might not have had access to the magazine. And once again, I'm talking about now, you know, 40, 30, 40 years ago, even 50 years ago, where there's no internet. Now, if you want to find out the Billboard top, you know, the hot 100, you go online, billboard.com, boom, you get it. But there was no such thing. I know young people can't even fathom not getting instant information on almost everything you wondered about. But there was a time when there were limitations on information. There really were. And so Casey, to his credit, along with uh, Dan or Don, is Don on the phone? Don Bastani, American Top 40. Produced by Don Bustani. But uh, 
They, they found a niche. They found a hole. Wait a minute. People love to know what the number one song is. People like to know, and but they don't have the immediate access to this Billboard trade magazine. So why don't we just take the trade? You know, why don't we use the trade magazine? I'm sure they called Billboard and said, hey, can we? Um, you know, they said, sure. They probably had some kind of a deal uh, worked out. And ba- basically, Casey just took the, the new billboard listings that's in the trade magazine and put together a show. Very simple, very easy. But for the time, very valuable and very popular and very lucrative. Casey made some nice coin with that American Top 40 show. Not only did I listen to it as a little kid when it was on every week as I wanted to know what the what the top songs in the country were. I was a little geeky on that. But I listened to I listen to it now today on Sirius Satellite Radio on the 70s channel. I listen every Sunday morning. Or Saturday morning depending on when I have the time. But I listen to Casey's, the reruns of that week, and they vary the different years every week. So you never know what year they're going to do, but they do the same week, the same week of, the, of, of, of whatever that week is in real time. They will give you the top 40 of that week, but then they, every week they will vary it. So sometimes it'll be 1970 in the week of December 10th. Or whatever. It doesn't always even out, but they get close. But maybe it's 1974 in the week of December 10th. Every, you know, and next week they'll change it to the next week, say December 17th, but it'll be a different year again. So they, they, they mix it up. So you get a, a nice variety of the entire decade every week. I still listen to it, I still enjoy it. So you could say what you want about Casey, but. Uh, and you know what? What I love listening to, about listening to that show is is that these are the original shows. They're just the reruns, right? Casey's been dead for many years, so these are the original shows that ran. And so you, what's hilarious that Casey will say, for instance, oh well, here's a song by a newcomer, um, James Taylor, his first hit. <laughs> And now James Taylor, uh, you know, is is one of the the all time greats, and you're hearing Casey in a very matter of fact way say, "Oh well, this guy James Taylor's a newcomer named James Taylor," having no idea that if we'll ever hear again from James Taylor or not. So there's kind of an innocence to it. It's kind of an interesting thing that we know the background. There's sometimes that songs are real popular and Casey will be out of his mind talking about this artist and this song. And then that artist and that song are never heard from again. But in the moment, they were the biggest thing. And Casey's like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest hit. And we're going to hear more from this person. And that was their one hit wonder. So that's kind of fun to do too. But so I have I have long been a fan not only of the music but also the little you know geeky nerdy side. Knowing when a song came out, knowing what year it came out, knowing its chart position and things like that. If you've ever seen the film Diner, 
It's a great movie from the 80s. Uh, written and directed by Barry, Barry Levinson, one of his first films. The, a, a, an early or first film for many guys and, and women, actors that went on to huge careers in that film, like uh, Ellen Barkin and Paul Reiser and, um, and Steve Gutenberg and Tim Daly uh, and Mickey Rourke and Daniel Stern. A lot of people uh, in that film called Diner. I would uh, I would recommend Diner not only for the music but also for the uh, the writing and the whole story. But there's the Daniel Stern character is a huge music fan, and his wife just is like, "Hey, it's just music." But he is so into it. He knows the year the song was released. He knows the A side and the B side. He knows the uh, the the record label. Uh, he knows the the serial numbers. Why I have a, 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 a kind of a secret a liking for that too is that he 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 gets mad at his wife because she put an album back or a song back, but she put it in the wrong spot because his record collection is alphabetized by artist and also by genre. And so she put the album in the wrong spot. And for him, this was like a mortal sin. And I'll tell you, I was I was just as my, my record collection now is not presented like it used to be. I used to have, you know, it all presented in in many bookcases in a room by itself. All the CDs and everything. And it was it was almost like a, a work of art. But I had it all alphabetized. And I had different genres, and I they the the albums were in a specific uh, way. I went from most recent to oldest, from left to right. Most recent was on the left, and as the older ones, we went to the right. And uh, you know, by um, by alphabetized, the group name was of course that, but then the last name of a solo artist. So, Abba, for instance was pretty much the first group that I had in my record collection. Uh, but James Taylor would be under T, not under J. So groups by their first letter, solo artists by their last name. <laughs> and then I had an area for soundtracks and compilations and classical music. Oh, yeah, it was a whole thing, believe me. But I knew that thing backwards and forwards, just like this character. And I was doing that before. I was already doing my record collection before. But when I saw that character, the Daniel Stern character in Diner, oh, I realized, okay, I'm not the only crazy person out there. There's at least one more, <laughs> even though he's fictional. <laughs> but I'm sure that Barry Levinson probably based it on himself or somebody he knew. But uh, yeah, so I've, uh, you know, music has played a major part in my life. I don't play an instrument, uh, but I love, 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 love music. And I've always been interested in the, you know, even here in Chicago area, uh, WLS used to have these surveys. So there was the billboard chart. That was the original. That was the, that was the, the, the official one that told you the top songs in the nation. But then WLS 
and WCFL, but WLS more than CFL because CFL sort of faded out, used to have their own weekly survey of what songs were popular on that station. And a lot of times they were right in, you know, Chicago was right in tune with the national charts, but sometimes they weren't. Sometimes the number one song in Chicago was not the number one song nationally, and vice versa. Sometimes when I'm listening to the Casey Kasem reruns of uh, of the Countdown from the '70s, they will there's there's songs that are sometimes in the top twenty, in the top fifteen. That you know, if you make if you have a top twenty hit, the top fifteen hit, that's a pretty good hit. That's a very successful song, and many times nationally there will be songs that i have never heard which is crazy because i used to listen to radio top 40 radio i am proudly a born and bred and raised on top 40 radio i don't i don't make any uh, apologies for it yeah there was some cheesy music there's no question about that but i was raised on that until i really discovered album oriented rock in the in the later 70s and early 80s but before that I grew up on WLS and that survey. I used to have a collection of that. I used to go every week to Musicland at Six Corners on Cicero and Milwaukee and Irving and uh and get the uh the survey. WLS survey. They had the picture of the of the disc jockeys on there and they always were different colors and and I would a lot of times this is what how much a geek I was. I would compare then I would have the the WLS survey and then I would be listening to Casey Kasem and see how did the Chicago chart compare with the national chart. Yeah, I was a little scary. But as I said, I was only really child. I needed something to to occupy my time, folks. <laughs> but um, anyway. So, now that I've established my my love and passion for the billboard charts. This is why I'm so disgusted. This is what is now stuck in my still hard to identify and locate craw. Sadly, you know, before the, 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 in the past, once again, in my day, not in back in the day, but in my day, and for most of the history of the Billboard charts, the position of the songs were calculated by a mix of sales, which was the main fa- excuse me, the main factor, actual sales of the songs, as well as they would you know, bring into their equation. I'm not sure how they, these these things were really, you know, I don't know how mathematically, uh, you know, pristine this, you know, there were no algorithms back then. You know, I don't think people were, there were no computers back then. I don't know what kind of formula they were using. Um, but the airplay on radio was also figured in to the placement. But for the most part it was about literal sales. How many records were sold that week? 
that determined the placing of the songs and determined the number one, number two, number three. Now, as I said, there's a Hot 100. That's what Billboard always has, the Hot 100. But then Casey, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, you know, I don't know. Maybe the 40 songs were the ones that radio stations would play the most. And so Casey, having been a radio disc jockey announcer, just figured, okay, well, that's, you know, a, 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 a top 40 station has a playlist of 40 songs, so we'll end it at 40. And that's how 40 became the magic number, I'm assuming. But Billboard counts down to 100. But we always look at the 40 top songs. So obviously, if a song is number 20 or 15, that's still a, that, you know, that's still a pretty good uh, successful rate. Now, obviously, the top 10 is, is big stuff, and number one is, is the ultimate. But still, if you have a song in the top 20 or the top 15, uh, it's, I'm sure you're doing pretty well if you're selling around the country. And yet, what was interesting was sometimes there were songs on the Billboard chart that were top 20, top 15 songs, but they were not popular here in Chicago. There were regional tastes, regional songs that were, were more popular in some markets, uh, in some big cities or in some regions of the, uh, of the uh, country, whether it was in the South or the East or the Midwest or the North, you know, the North or the West, Midwest. So it was interesting to see the difference sometimes. But it was basically built on, the Billboard chart was built on physical sales. And as I said before, in today's world, you know, we don't need to physically go and buy anything really anymore. If you go to a store, I mean, unless you're, not even groceries. Now what am I talking about? No, not even groceries. And you can get, you know, you can order produce. on. You know, we've come to a point in terms of convenience and speed with the computer, online shopping, if you go to a physical brick-and-mortar kind of a store right now, I think you're doing that out of either habit or longing for the experience or you just want to get out of the house. Before, it was a necessity. You could not buy anything from your house like that. Oh, sure, you know, you could make a phone call or something like that. But today, my gosh, what we the power that we have at our fingertips from our home uh, is 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 an awesome power when you when you compare it to just fifty years ago, even thirty years ago, with the limitations that we had. You still had to go to that physical brick and uh, brick and mortar store and buy stuff. And now you have the choice. Now it's a novelty. Before it was a necessity. And so if you really liked music, and if you really liked a song, you really put your your physical, uh, I guess, I don't know what the word is, but you put yourself behind it. Because you went out and bought that song. You got out of your house and you went to a record store or department store and you bought that record. You just didn't sit on your phone or sit at a computer and go to a website and click a button 
and either save it to your device or if people still even buy hard copy CDs or vinyl, that's fine, but you could always order those online too. You don't need to go to the store, but back in my day, you had to put your 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 back into it. You had to show some real physical effort if you wanted to hear that song, not just wait for it on the radio. You had to go out and get to a store. So you proved your passion or your excitement or liking for that song because you put your time and effort into buying it. And that was calculated right there when you physically bought it. And it took effort. There was there was something pure about that. There was something that had some heft to it, some meaning. You went out and bought that record and brought it home. You couldn't wait. You know, when you bought it, you still couldn't enjoy it. You had to wait till you got home to listen to it. It was a whole thing. Now you go online, you go on, you know, YouTube or Spotify, boom, you hit a couple buttons, you got the song instantly. You know, you you might buy it from the Apple Store, you may download it, boom, it goes onto your phone, it goes onto your computer and whatever. It's it's, you know, sadly the 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 computer is given music uh, access is amazing to music now but sadly it has also devalued it it's made it a commodity that's why so many people especially people you know baby boomers are you know they're they're trying to cling to this the vinyl thing because it does bring back that nostalgic memory and uh, you know you can it's something tangible which i i understand but as i've said many times i'm talking about this make no make no uh no false um you know thoughts here it's the baby boomers who are really pushing the vinyl experience and talking to you about how great it was and i'm just doing it myself there's the hypocrisy sneaking in that i told you it might sneak into today's uh, you know, discussion. I'm just saying how cool that was, and I'm I'm also putting it down at the same time. But here's the thing: I'm at least aware of it. I'm not in denial. There's a great section of the baby boomers who have clung now to this retro feeling of vinyl, which is great. I understand it. I enjoy holding a record. I enjoyed the album art. I enjoyed reading the lyrics and and looking at the at the liner notes and looking at the production notes of each song. I used to pour over the albums, believe me. So I get that. But what I find hypocritical is that the baby boomers have been they're they're you know in this in this digital, you know, ether world here. They're trying to bring back the vinyl experience, which I applaud. That's fine if you want to do that. But there are also some drawbacks. Vinyl doesn't sound that great, even though they'll tell you how great it sounds. It's, it's still filled with pops and hisses and skips. Let's be honest. Oh, I know there's the warmth sound. Okay, whatever. But that warmth, that warmth sound a lot of times buries a lot of instruments. That digital pops up so we can make the argument in fact that was the argument that was made at the time in the 80s when cds came out and here's my point 
the baby boomers who today are in their 50s and 60s and 70s and who are talking how great vinyl is and, oh, they're buying all their albums back on vinyl. The reason they're buying their albums back on vinyl is because they could not get rid of their vinyl albums 40 years ago fast enough to buy CDs and replicate their entire record collections on CD. The the same people today who are who are lauding and saying how cool and great and uh, awesome vinyl is, they killed vinyl 40 years ago. In record time, in two years, the CD came around in about 83, 84, 85, and when when people heard the sound and the convenience, you have to lug around these giant albums, You had the small little CD, and you were starting to hear instruments you'd never even heard on a song before because of the limitations of vinyl and the clearer sound. People who are now in their 50s and 60s and 70s either threw out all their albums or went to use record stores and sold their entire collections and replicated their entire selection, their entire record on CD. They couldn't wait to get rid of vinyl. Now that even CDs are gone, and, and, and music is just this floating thing, there's really nothing tangible about it. The baby boomers are feeling nostalgic about it, and they're, and they're trying to prop up the vinyl experience again with these loving, longing terms of how awesome and great and and superior it is than a CD and everything, they couldn't wait to throw their albums out, their vinyl. They could not wait. they, They created the CD revolution that changed the record business in two years. Within months... Record stores were constantly changing, getting rid of the album sections and putting in new bins and new dividers for CDs. They could not get rid of their albums fast enough. The The record stores wouldn't sell them, and the people were getting rid. They were throwing them out. Now they're spending $40 for the albums that they used to have 40 years ago. But they threw them out, and they sold them to a used record store. I have nothing against vinyl. Believe me, but the people that are most passionate about it seem to be older people that are trying to proselytize and 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 spread the word like they're prophets, like they're like they're it's a religious experience. Oh, the vinyl, and we would do this. I get that. I did too. But admit that you killed it. They're acting like they had no part in it. The ones who are the biggest proponents of it are the ones who got rid of it. Couldn't wait to get rid of it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I promise I'll get to my point. It took effort to buy a record. So when, he, when, when a record was number one on the charts, that really meant something. It was based mainly on sales and, you know, and like I said, another 
you know, kind of weighted thing on airplay, but it was really the record sales. People were going out and buying the record, showing their support for that record by leaving the house, getting on their bikes, getting in their car, getting on the bus, going to the store, finding that record, buying it, and bringing it home. Today, it's all boop, boop, boop. Three three little keystrokes. You know, it's either a view or a like, or you listen to it, or you you you, you download it. And so, obviously, Billboard has had to change with the times. And so the the formula now for a number one song is much different than it was 50 or 60 years ago, even 40 years ago, even 30 years ago, because of the impact of how music is now bought and sold and listened to and enjoyed, mostly through an electronic device. So the views and the, and the, and the downloads, which take two seconds, don't take the same effort that it did to go get dressed up, go outside, get on your bike, get in a car, get in a bus, and go to a record store. It comes back, it takes two seconds. Or you go and you, you know, how many listens on Spotify, whatever it is. I'm not really exactly sure what the uh, formula is, but certainly it's based now on electronic use of music and electronic access of music weighs heavily because that's really the way most people buy music electronically. Some people still buy vinyl, yes, new vinyl. Some people still do buy new CDs, but you can't even find those. You have to get those mostly online. So a lot of record stores that, you know, they have record store day to promote that. Special vinyl comes out, vinyl comes out. You know, there, there there's it's, it's a small, it's a very small little part. You know, even though they're trying to say, oh, well, you know, the, you know, vinyl record sales have gone up 300%. Well, because they were selling zero. So if you sell 300, there's 300%. <laughs> they used to sell millions. Thrillers sold 40 million copies, okay? <laughs> so, no. The sales for vinyl are not up three are not up three hundred percent, not from their heyday. They're they're up from twenty years ago when there was no vinyl. Yeah, but not from their heyday. It's a very small niche, believe me. Even though it may sound and feel because it, it's cool and hip, but the amount of actual records being sold don't even come close to comparing what they used to sell. So now it's all based on on digital access, which, as I said before, is much easier to do, less effort because of the convenience. We've, we've got either our smartphone or our computer. It's in our hands. It's in our laptop. It's in our pocket. So really, I would say in the last 20 years since, you know, the computer has is really taken over with music, say with Napster, late nineties, early two thousands when Napster really started to, you know, become popular and take hold and 
you had you know mp3 files and file sharing and all that stuff which completely revolutionized music again i i think the the status of a number one song uh is not as prestigious as it used to be because it's too easy to to, to 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 like a song now. It's too easy to, to get it. There was a time when you knew the number one song. Everyone knew it. Even even in, in my time when I was a little kid, you know, the number one song still even trickled down to my parents' generation. They weren't listening to the radio anymore for music. But they still knew Tie a Yellow River Around the Old Oak Tree. They knew that was a number one song. You knew the number one song. It, 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 there was a prominence to it, and you heard it. But today, people are in there. Everybody, it, you know, Everything is so personalized. You know, I could sit there and just hit the same song 60,000 times on views, and that will get added in. To the compilation. So it doesn't really carry the same weight of a number of, of the Billboard chart. It's the only chart we have. I don't blame them for changing their formula because they had to change with the times. This is the way music is being listened to and this is the way music is being bought. So I understand that. But to me, the status and the prestige and the influence and the impact of number one song or number one album is much less than it used to be. And we're hearing, oh, you know, oh, they just broke Elvis's record and, you know, this group that you never even heard of. Oh, they've got their 21st number one song. And it's like, you never even heard of this band. It's really not fair to compare today's number ones with number one songs or number one groups or record holders from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, even the 90s, because it's really apples and oranges. But that's that's the, the chart we use. That's the official chart. And so to give prominence to today's artists, which everybody wants to talk about how cool today is, Wow, you know, Beyonce has 58 number one songs, or Taylor Swift has uh, 100 number one songs. She just beat the Beatles. She just beat Elvis. Well, she did, but it's based on a completely different formula, completely different way of, of calculating this, a completely different sense of the music being heard by as many people as it used to be. Because of how we have access and how we judge it by likes or views or downloads that don't that just take a press of a finger. So to me, that's why I listened to the Casey Kasem top forty from the seventies. That, in my view, was still valued. It was still earned. Today. You find you 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 see artists you never even heard of all have number one songs, and you never even know who they are. The number one song doesn't have that same kind of cachet that it used to have. Yes, number one is still number one. It has a cachet to some extent, 
But if you're talking about real influence, real impact, it doesn't carry the same weight. The heft is different. So what got into my craw? Well, I see this story that says that the number one song, now not in a subgroup, not in the adult contemporary, you know, there's there's the Hot 100. That's the main billboard chart. The Hot 100. Those are the top songs of all the genres against each other. So you have a number one song, you're, you, that's, you know, there's a country chart, there's an adult contemporary chart, there's a dance chart, there's a hip-hop chart, there's all these different charts. So we can have these various number ones, everybody can have a number one song, right? But the one that really counts is the Billboard Hot 100. That one takes into account all the songs against each other, not just in a, in a little niche or a genre, but in the whole mix. The number one song for the week of December 9th was not by Taylor Swift, was not by Beyonce. The number one song, not a country song, not on the country chart, not on the not on the holiday chart, not on the novelty chart, not on the hip hop chart. The number one song of the Billboard Hot 100, the respected chart for the top songs in the country. The number one song was not by Taylor Swift, not by Beyonce, not by Drake. Not by Usher, not by you know Bad Bunny, not by Post Malone, not by Doja Cat. The number one song was by Brenda Lee. Now, some of you say, "Who the heck is Brenda Lee?" Some of you may remember the name. Some of you may remember her music. Brenda Lee was a big singer. In the 60s, her biggest hit was probably called I'm Sorry. But her biggest hit, it appears to be, that has now become a a record-breaking hit is her Christmas song, which we all know, I'm sure, rocking around the Christmas tree. The song was originally recorded in 1958 when Brenda Lee was 13. It first hit the Billboard Hot 100 chart, though, in 1960. And in 1960, 63 years ago, even though it was released and recorded in 1958, which is 65 years ago, So the song is 65 years old when it was first released. Didn't hit the Hot 100, though, until 1960 because it was, you know, a Christmas record. Didn't get a lot of airplay initially. Finally, by 1960, it started to get some airplay. But the song itself was recorded in 1958. That's 65 years ago. 
When it first reached the chart in 1960, it peaked at number 14, right? So that's when the, when the majority of people first heard it. It was a new song. People were getting into it like every new song, and it rose up the charts. As I said, a top 15 song is a, a very good, successful song. Nothing wrong with that. It's not number one. It's not in the top 10, but hey. But Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree peaked at number 14. Now, we know that there's holiday stations now that play nothing but Christmas songs for at least a month, if not more. Every year, you know. You may not know who Brenda Lee is. You may not know that she had the great song I'm sorry you may not know who she is care what you you don't know if she's dead or alive she is alive she's 78 you don't know she exists but you know that song cuz every christmas station plays rocking around the christmas tree have a happy holiday right you know that song it's played constantly I have the, the the you know holiday stations on in my house. I hear that song a million times. I have it. I've been having that music on since the beginning of November. But I've heard "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree" hundreds of times already. We've been hearing it literally since 1960. We've been hearing it for 63 years, every year. No question. It's on compilation albums. As I said, they play it on these radio stations all the time when they play their holiday uh, format. Rocking Around the Christmas Tree is the number one song that's not on the holiday charts. On the Hot 100 chart. It's, it's, it's set a record. Brenda Lee herself can't even believe what's happened. To celebrate the 65th year of the song, the record company, whoever owns the, the rights of the song, had her make a video, and they were promoting it. She's been singing it on some shows. But obviously, the constant airplay of the song on the stations and a younger crowd may be discovering it for the first time and hitting and liking it because it's a it's a very enjoyable catchy song right they just keep hitting like 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 view 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 on spotify or whatever it's so simple now right you just hit a button you have to run out and find it at a record store you probably couldn't even find a physical copy of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. But you can find it online on Spotify or Pandora or wherever you go. YouTube channel. And because it's heard so much and people are in the Christmas mood, suddenly the regular chart, not the holiday chart, the regular Hot 100 chart is now being dominated by... Old Christmas songs. They are beating the current songs by current artists. So the the week that 
Brenda Lee hit number one. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, which came out in 1994, was number two. And Jingle Bell Rock was number four. And Last Christmas was number five. It wasn't until number seven that Cruel Summer by by Taylor Swift, which is an old song, but she re-recorded it, but a contemporary song was actually on the chart. And then Doja Cat and SZA were there too. And then, But then right after that is Andy Williams again with the most wonderful time of the year. These are not on the holiday charts, on the main chart. Now you say, Jim, well, what's your problem with that? You should love that. You love all this old music. You should be happy that young people are discovering these mus- these these songs so much so that they are hoisting these songs that are 65 seven you know 65 uh you know 50 60 years old into the top 10 holly jolly christmas was number 6 that's one of my favorites by burl ives i should be rejoicing that burl ives has a number 6 song have a holly jolly christmas But I'm looking at it from the music fan standpoint and saying, but should those songs really be the number one songs in the top chart of the of the country? We're off somewhere. It's too easy. If I was a new artist right now, I'd be like, what the heck? I'm fighting now with a 65 year old song. Brenda, this is Brenda Lee herself can't even believe it. It's the longest any song has ever gone between being on the charts. And she's the oldest person now to have a number one song. Louis Armstrong was 62 in 1964 when he had his version of, of Hello Dolly. But Brenda Lee is 78. And this song from 1958 is the number one song. I have a problem with that. I love the song. I love I I love Brenda Lee's I'm Sorry. And I love older music. So part of me, yes, yeah, should be happy to say, way to go, Brenda. But it also, to me, shows a major flaw in our system of calculating And it also, to me, shows a major flaw and a major deficiency of our original creativity right now. When a song from 1958, a Christmas song, could become number one above new material and original material that's being made today by contemporary stars. It just goes to show you, I think, that this proves when people say today's music isn't as good and then you're brushed off by younger people. Oh, well, you're just old. Well, now, I think, here's the validation. Brenda Lee is outselling Taylor Swift with a song that's 65 years old. 
Brenda Lee is outselling Doja Cat and SZA. So you tell me if the older music isn't better than the younger music. Now you say, Jim, then why is that in your craw? I guess what's in my craw is, as I said, I'm, I'm kind of torn here. I, I'm kind of being a hypocrite, but I don't know. I, I'm, I can't work this out because I should be applauding this because I keep saying how how much better music was before as compared to today and it's in its lasting importance and its lasting quality over the manufactured music of today i'll be on a soapbox for that so then when it actually does appear on the chart i should be happy about that but there's a part of me as a music fan that that's depressed about that because it tells me and sort of does validate to me that Today's music and today's art is not original, is not as important, is, does not have as much quality. Because look at what's in the top 10. Four or five songs that are all Christmas songs, most of them from the 60s, more than 60 years old, selling more than contemporary artists of today. To me, that really says something. Look at Broadway. I did a little research here. If you look at Broadway, I'm talking about the original. Where's the original artist? Where is the the artist that's, you know, most of the songs that are even hits today are all sampled from other songs with new lyrics. They're taking old, tried and true, popular melodies and hooks because they can't come up with anything of their own. So they're sampling things, and they're changing the words. And younger people don't know the original songs from the 1970s or 60s, so they think this is a new song. And then, But, but when we hear it, if you were around, you go, well, wait a minute. That's best of my love. There's a song now, I don't even know who it's by, but it, I saw it on the, 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 the Thanksgiving Day Parade. They used the backing track music of that song. You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got the best of my love, whoa, whoa. but but there's but there's somebody else using that music track and then rapping some new lyrics on it, and it's a big hit. Well, that's nothing. That's not originality. That's plagiarism. Oh, that's sampling. Oh, that, no, it's not. That's that's cheating. But that's become par for the course, and so now that's why everything is regurgitated. Songs from nineteen from nineteen fifty eight can be number one songs right now. I know I should be happy about that, but I'm kind of sad and depressed because it shows me there's no originality. I looked on I looked on the, the, the plays that are playing on Broadway right now. There's not one original play. I mean there are a few, but listen to what's the biggest sellers. Wicked still playing and based on what? The Wizard of Oz movie from 1939. Moulin Rouge musical based on the mu- on the movie. The Lion King based on the movie. Back to the Future based on the movie. Spam a lot based on Monty Python's uh, and the Holy Grail and their other movies. Some like it hot based on a movie. 
Michael MJ, based on Michael Jackson's musical jukebox career. This is the 40th anniversary of Thriller. I'm sure that's helping. <laughs> There's other ones coming out soon. The Days of Wine and Roses. Movie from the 60s. Little Shop of Horrors, based on a movie from the 60s. The Wiz, once again, based on The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Where's the originality? It says something great about the music of the past, which I'm all for. But it also says something bad about today. That all we're consumed is with likes and and downloads and the ease and the access. It's too easy to make a number one song. I give Brenda Lee credit. But when the song was new and it was tougher to get a number one song, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree peaked at 14. But more than 60 years later, it became number one. Why? Because it's easier to get a number one song and there's less competition now for really good music. I'll stand by that. So I'm a little depressed and a little happy, but it's in my craw that a song from 1965 could even get to be number one. I'm glad it is in some ways. But I'm also upset that it is, too. I don't know where music is going now. As I said before, it's sad because it's become so disposable like movies and every other major mainstream kind of entertainment because of how we don't really value it anymore. It's the access is too easy between streamings and people are watching stuff on their phone and you just click a couple of buttons. You don't need to go to the theater anymore. Once again, that effort was involved. So movies and music and books have become kind of disposable. You can read a book on your Kindle now and stuff like that before you had to go out and buy the hardcover book or go to the library. In my day, there was more originality and more passion and more effort went into creating original art and enjoying original art. When we liked something, we proved it. We didn't just hit a button. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 394. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Welcome Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen. 
Way to go, Brenda. 